We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Stefan Laco. You can find me on Twitter at StayFunLaco, and I am joined again by the OG, the founder, the Travis May. You can find him on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. How are you doing, my friend? We've got a great show. We're going to jump into the eligible players for next year's draft i'm excited uh how are you doing though before we jump into all that i'm good man i'm just ready to get into the real college football and nfl season we've got some preseason games going on uh recording uh thursday got some games tonight uh my titans are playing so that's fun really close to the regular season but really i just i want to see the next uh big names break out in college football too we, we i guess we talked about what college football two weeks ago last week is a bunch of nfl back to college this week, but really taking a look ahead at who's going to be in the NFL next year. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited because, yeah, 2023 NFL draft players and, and really just, I guess, talking through predicting draft capital for all these top names, right? Just trying to figure out where they're going to go and take a look, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at uh, some historical precedent and, uh, you know, how many players typically go in each round in recent drafts versus, you know, maybe what people expect uh, or maybe think they know or think. Think, you know, of how many players go in certain positions in each round of each draft because it's, it's changed over the years in terms right. of where players get drafted. So should be a fun conversation. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be great. It's 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 good, man. I'm excited. Today's my first day of vacation. So, like, I just feel fantastic. I've got a bunch of family coming into town from all over the world. So it has forced me to get my house ready. So. Last week, we had computer issues because I was not ready. This week, I've got my office set up. I haven't like made my cords fancy and you know done all that, but everything works. It's operational. We can see each other, and I can record finally. So it's good, man. I'm ready to get into it just in time for football season. Man, I am so pumped. I am going to be watching preseason football tonight, and it's disgusting. But I don't care. I love it. I'm going to be betting on it too. You know, I'm betting on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do know you, and I know you will be doing it. I, I can't. I can't do it with preseason football. Once it, once the real college football season comes around, I start. 
definitely getting into that. And last year, that was incredibly profitable for me. <laughs> probably the most, probably the best season I've ever had. So I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of a disappointment this year just to, to offset some of that uh, good fortune. But uh, we'll see. Right. Yeah. Um, it's always hit or miss. It's fun, though. We, we enjoy it. Um, Matt and I talk about it on our other podcast. But today we, we do want to get into it. And we should probably start pretty soon because uh, as we were kind of prepping, we we're like, okay, how many years do we want to talk about? And when we started talking about these names, man, this is going to be a fun, fun draft class. Just looking at some of the names we have, uh, there's a bunch of quarterbacks, a bunch of like high end running backs potentially. Um, you know, really hoping we don't see any catastrophic injuries or something like that. So, my first question, kind of before we get the ball rolling here and looking at things specifically, uh, you mentioned kind of like where running backs go. And we were talking a little bit before um, last year. Um, I mean, two years ago when we saw Travis Etienne get drafted at the end of the round was the first time we've had two running backs in a minute. Do you think that with some of the exciting players we have coming up, how many, if any, first round running backs do you think we'll see taken in next year's draft? That's a, that's a great question. And I think, I think we should, should set up this conversation just this way. Cause I think a lot of times when people are drawing up their, uh, you know, and NFL mock drafts for any given class, uh, they get a little bit overconfident or really overzealous when it comes to one position or the other without even thinking about uh, any recent historical precedent and how difficult it is for certain positions uh, to be taken early by a bunch of teams. And, um, you know, I think it's funny because running backs in the early 2000s were really prevalent in terms of going in the early rounds, especially first round. Like in, in back in like 2000, five running backs taken, 2006, four running backs taken. 2008, five running backs taken in the first round. That's so crazy. Um, That's so crazy. Could you imagine that happening at all ever again? We would all explode. We would not know what to do. We would be done. We would have to all quit. I know. And and it's just crazy because we don't see that anymore in terms of first round NFL investment at the running back position. I mean, in the last 10 drafts, there have actually only been 12 running backs taken in the first round of the NFL draft. 10 years, only 12 running backs taken in the first round. The 10 years prior to those last 10 years, we saw 29, 29 oh, go yeah. in round one. So, I mean, 12 first round running backs versus 29 first round running backs in the 10 preceding years. Like the NFL is clearly moving away from that. And so our expectations and, have to shift and, as well. And Jacksonville has taken two of those. <laughs> they, have, they have, and they're always in position to take early, early, uh, early running backs because they uh, always have early picks and yeah, that's just the nature of it. But um, it is funny to me though, if you look at rounds two and three, that's actually, if you look at those, those same two 10 year windows, like the last 10 drafts rounds two and three running backs, there's been 56 taken and the 10 preceding years for rounds two and three, uh, we've actually seen, uh, we actually saw 48. So there's actually more round two and three running backs that we've seen taken in the last 10 years than the 10 preceding years before that. And that trend, uh, I mean, it's almost linear. Like, really, I mean, it's just, it's funny when we track it, it's it's pretty consistently trending in that direction where we're seeing more day two, less day one. And um, and really, overall, there's just less running backs taken in days one and two combined. Uh, like 68 between days one and two, rounds one through three taken in the last 10 years versus 77 in the 10 years that preceded that. And so uh, we're just seeing less and less. I mean, like last year, we only saw six running backs go in the first two 
full days, first three rounds. And the draft before that, we only saw four go, four running backs go in the first three rounds. So 10 total running backs in the first three rounds of both this year and last year's NFL drafts. Like that's, that's nothing, nothing. And, and two of those, and two of those players didn't do a damn thing. One because of injury and Travis Etienne and the right. other Trey Sermon just lost out, <laughs> you know? Right. So, so it was, it's crazy. Yeah. It's just, um, we, one, we kind of knew, we understood that this year's uh, 2022 uh, NFL draft class for running backs wasn't very strong. And we knew last year wasn't very strong. Uh, conversely, we actually knew for years in advance that 2020 was going to be a really stacked class. And in that year, we actually saw nine running backs alone go in day one and two, rounds one, two, and three of the 2020 NFL draft. But it seems like there's only one good class every three years or so. At least that's been right. the pattern here uh, lately and we are due again yeah uh, so 2023 uh is actually set not just because of some dumb pattern but is it actually set up to look like a really stacked class in that position because there's just a lot of good players now i, I still don't think there's going to be more than two first rounders though to answer your original question i don't think it's going to be more than two that we see uh go in round one because there's only been one year in the last 10 years that we saw more than two running backs go in round one. So even in the stacked class, I don't think it's going to happen. If I set it at minus 110 at over under one and a half, are you taking the over or under? So oh, equal equal betting odds over or under one and a half. I think I'm going over because of the options that could vault into that conversation. Uh, yep. Because, I, you know, there's, there's so many different options that could. I think there's one that's probably locked. You know, if we're just trying to really predict NFL draft capital, I think that a lot of people have kind of settled in on the fact that, okay, B. John Robinson is probably the safest bet for round one capital next year. Like, and that's, yeah, that's not even really up for debate. And then beyond that, though, there's probably at least two, if not three, options that, that could be in that round one discussion. I'd say if I were betting right now, who exactly was going to go? Um, in each round, I would say that Bijan Robinson would be uh, a round one pick. Uh, Jameer Gibbs would be an early, early, early round two pick. Zach Evans would be an early round two pick. And Tank Bigsby might sneak into round two as well. So like all three, Jameer Gibbs you know, transferred to Alabama. Zach Evans transferred from TCU to Ole Miss. Tank Bigsby, for some reason, chose to go back to Auburn. And, uh, and those three guys are probably all at least in the conversation, if they have a really good year, given their pedigree, given their athleticism, given something unique about their skill set, uh, could be in that conversation. So I think one of those has a, a blow up year and sneaks into the back end of round one. We see two. That's that's probably where my money would be if I had to bet it. Yeah, I would I would take the under just because of injury, and uh, I think we'll see kind of like. Uh, one one guy go in the first, and then we'll see a bunch go day two. Uh, that's kind of how I, I see it yeah, playing I mean, out. And, and that's probably the safe money. I mean, like even in 2020, when it was stacked, there was only one first rounder. There were five second round guys. And, and, three, and part, of the reason, uh, three. part of the reason I feel like that is because of what you just said. Tank, Bigsby, um, Gibbs, Evans, to me, if you don't get one, you can get one of the others. Really, Bijan is kind of the the one guy everyone would want. 
And then once he's off, I think you're willing to wait a little bit and see who falls to you. So that's why I think we'll see um, maybe in the end of the of round one, people just be like, you know what? I'll take whichever guy's left next round. Um, but yeah, well, I, I, some that also assumes that also assumes uh, logical thinking on GMs, and that rarely happens. So <laughs> we'll probably see four guys go early. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But you know, and a fifth name that that rises into that conversation uh, as well as Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. Um, uh, would he be your your fifth running back, or would there be somebody else that you would rate rate over Sean Tucker? I mean, I do think when it comes to the combine, um, our boy Zach Charbonnet, you know, I love him, is going to put on a clinic and he's going to get a lot of buzz. But yeah. I think that's going to move him to from day three to maybe late day two, maybe. Um, Sean Tucker is someone, though, that I think uh, as he puts it together again, because he already did it for Syracuse in the past. We've talked about that in other episodes. But now yeah. I think people already kind of know his name. I'll be honest. I didn't really know much about Sean Tucker before last season. Um, but he, he caught my attention last year. And I think he's going to catch the nation's attention this year. And I won't be surprised if we hear his name with the ones that you mentioned before. He's definitely in there for me. Um, what about Texas A&M's? I'm not going to. Devon. Devon Shane. Devin yeah, I was close. I know yeah. you like him. What do you think about him? Where do you think he um, could end up going if he puts together a really good season? I mean, Isaiah Spiller's gone. He's the the guy with the experience back there. I know it's not really his type of role of 5'9", 185. He's not really uh, maybe built for a three-down role in an SEC game, um, let alone the NFL. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Well, I mean, so Devin Achain, it's tough to compare one-to-one when you're talking about different draft classes because Isaiah Spiller is just a different body, same team, but different body, less explosive. Um, But we thought Isaiah Spiller was going to go much higher. Um, And he was around four guy. But I think we saw Devin Achain be the better back last year. Right. Uh, Like he was way more efficient, way more explosive, way faster, uh, a better receiver. Like – he just was the better back. And so I think if you're going one-to-one, and if Isaiah Spiller is a round four guy, then yeah, I am, I'm expecting Devin Achain to go and be a round three guy at the very least yeah. because I know he's, he's smaller. But man, if there's, there's going to be anybody that uh, you know, just breaks every running back 40 kind of record at, at the combine, it's going to be Devin Achain. Like he's got a like near 10-1, 100-meter time. Like he had a wind assisted, like I think I think this this may have actually been mentioned in uh, uh, Bruce Feldman's frequent notes uh, as well, but uh, he had like a wind assisted ten point oh two, which is, <laughs> I mean, almost a ten flat one hundred, and that's why he he's you know that's why he's not added the weight because he's such a competitive sprinter. Like he's, you're not gonna oh yeah, Devin Ache, I know you're just like this near Olympic level sprinter, but can you just add about 20 pounds of muscle? Growth, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that's not going to happen. But when he, when he is completely committed to the NFL, I, I hope that he adds a little bit of weight because he has every bit of burst to be one of the most explosive NFL backs we've seen in a very long time, averaging like over eight yards per touch. in that's college. Like, that's insane. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's more impressive. High numbers. <laughs> Travis, high numbers. Travis Etienne, better than Travis Etienne numbers. And uh, it really you know, is Travis Guy numbers, that. though. It really is Travis yeah. Guy numbers. Well, I mean, the Pac-12 is not even real. But I mean, that's, like, that's, that's like, also that's, that's like, like <laughs> map defenses. But it's <laughs> ACC West is what it is. Um, real, real quick with 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 Devin. Um, 
Ah, crap. Now I forgot. Oh, no. You know he's you know he's going to be... No, I forgot what I was going to say for a second. You know he's going to be drafted by the Giants. They're going to have Kadarius, Tony, Wandale, and him. <laughs> it's just going to be like, yeah, have fun. We have no offense. We just, like, hand the ball off to random players and see what happens. Yeah, they, they actually put him and Saquon on the field at the same time. And Saquon actually carries Devin Achain and then chucks him <laughs> forward with yes. the ball. That's going to be their offense, for sure. But uh, he, he... To me... He's the top five back in the class. I would have him over Sean Tucker. Um, I mean, I like Sean Tucker quite a bit. He's probably the running back six or seven uh, for me that I think still goes day two, uh, back end of day two, most likely round three. But I think Achen could go – I mean, if James Cook goes as early as right. he goes, like yeah. Achen is more productive. He is faster. He is just as much a good receiver. And I think when he actually gets to the combine, he's going to be almost identical in terms of weight. Uh, Achain might even pack on a little bit more and be thicker, yet faster and better at literally everything. And everyone's drooling over James Cook. Uh, right. You know, people are like James Cook running back too, in an albeit you know a weaker class. But there's a it's it's very maybe not likely, but very possible that Achain is is running back perhaps three even in his class. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a good take, and I think you can acquire him for fairly inexpensive at the moment. That might not be mm-hmm. the case in four months another name that i want to talk about for for a second here because i think this guy outside of Bijan has the highest ceiling but also the lowest floor and that's just a lot of it's just because of um what i assume is mental issues i don't know he's a bit of a head case you already know who i'm going to talk about here but zachary evans i mean the dude is explosive the guy is extremely talented highly recruited um highly rated prospect and has really struggled. I mean, you mentioned it. We, we've talked about it quite a bit, but all the different schools that he's attended. Um, and then now he's uh, at Ole Miss with an opportunity. Now they did also bring in Bentley. So we'll see what that looks like. Um, but there's definitely opportunity. We've talked about how much Lane Kiffin loves to run the football and get creative in his running game. So if Zach Evans can keep it together, can do well, the ceiling really is amazing. But man, he's got to be the most volatile guy on this list. Oh, and it's not like he's gone off the deep end at all since he's been in college doing anything like that's terrible off the field or whatever. It's just um, throughout the process, dating back to his early stages of his uh, recruiting process, he was he was frustrating to teams uh, being very noncommittal and, and flip-floppy. And, and that's more accepted now, uh, the NIL is being you know widely accepted and everything. But at the time, I mean, act like this is forever ago, but you know, two, three, four years ago, um, he was just kind of a... a a pest, <laughs> like uh, at least perceived that way by many in the recruiting community. And that was kind of like the ongoing discussion around him. And then like, of course, because he was a five-star or near five-star talent, you know, he was the one guy who dragged his recruiting process out until like May or June, like three months beyond national signing day. And we were all just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, like where's this top 50 kid in the country going to be playing. And he finally chooses TCU. And like, TCU hasn't produced an NFL fantasy point since LaDainian Tomlinson. What are you doing? <laughs> like, and and that, that's a real stat, by the way. Still yeah. to this day, no TCU running back has scored an NFL PPR fantasy point since LaDainian Tomlinson retired. And that's going to continue because Zach Evans has left and is now with Ole Miss. But I think, I think if he's going to click with anybody, it's going to be with Lane Kiffin because that, that dude just does not give a crap. Like he just, he's hilarious. Like he, he just wants you to, to be good at football and uh, he's going to, you know, make some memes on social media 
and uh, have, have a good time. I, I love, by the way, I think Lane yeah. Kiffin is so good for the SEC. Oh, yeah. So hilarious. And so, like, if he's going to be with any any coach and he's going to manage whatever personality Evans had at any point that people critiqued him for, it's going to be Lane Kiffin. And so I think Evans is going to absolutely go off this year. Uh, we could see 1,200-plus yards from scrimmage easily, even in the SEC, and also be efficient uh, while doing so. I mean, he was, what, almost eight yards per touch for TCU last year. Maybe he's not quite that efficient, uh, but I think he could still be a really incredible receiving threat uh, as he's already uh, done so in a smaller sample in college and be a, a really decisive, explosive kind of round one runner uh, that, that very well could be the best back in the class when it's all said and done. Now, I don't think that that's the safest projection, but I think he's he's Correct. he's pretty safe for round two projection. Uh, I think, uh, and, and it seems like we're landing somewhere around you know, Bijan, round one, Jameer Gibbs, Zach Evans, Tank Bigby, round two for sure. And then, you know, Sean Tucker, Devin O'Shane, you like Zach Charbonnet, um, that, that that kind of like five, six, seven, at least next year, they could be day one, day two backs. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and I think maybe Charbonnet's a reach, but but if it's not him, it'll probably be someone else, you know? Um, maybe Chris Rodriguez, after being suspended, puts it together for Kentucky and gets himself a little bit of, of draft capital. Maybe we see another uh, Georgia running back and Kendall Milton uh, really hit the stage and do something yeah, that most... Yeah, yeah. And, and he has to get more of a... Well, although Georgia running backs seem to get capital without a whole lot of production. So yeah, he has to stay healthy. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, there could be... And, and other guys who 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 we aren't even on our radar. There could be someone that pops. So it may not be Charbonnet, but I think we do have another one that kind of uh, slips into the back there. That's a yeah, there's always, there's always, no, I mean, there's always one, right? And I mean, it, that could be like a Deuce Vaughn if the NFL looks past his size concerns because he was one of the most ridiculously productive backs in the, in the country last year. I mean, if he's got every single stat you want going for him, he's just like five for five. So right. it's just a tough projection, but um if if any smaller back could sneak into the back end of day day two, it could be him. But I'd say he's more like a round four type uh, back there. But we didn't even really talk about Jameer Gibbs. But I mean, what what are your chances, I guess, for him to be a round one running back before we move on? Yeah, I think he needs to get the role we talked about um, two weeks ago. We talked about that Alabama, some of the camp battles there at the running back position. And while I think Gibbs transferring in, he's going to be the main guy. Uh, we could see more of a committee backfield. Now, is that going to really hurt him? I don't I don't know. To me, is he talented enough to be a first-round back? Probably. I think he's a very good running back, and, and he's someone that I've moved up all of my boards after he transferred out of Georgia Tech. Um, I just don't know. It's just hard for me to, just given the history that you were talking about before, um, think he's going to slide into the first round. But I think he has the talent. I think he has the ability. And I think his all-around game is something that the NFL, someone very well might trade up or, or yeah. trade back, you know, to get him in the first round. Yeah, I think is I, I think his floor of selection uh, range is probably where James Cook went this year, just because he's definitely better than him, uh, and he's more productive, probably better runner. Had back-to-back seasons of like what at least fifteen percent receiving yard market share, if not more, for Georgia Tech, and I think he could actually do that in a year where Alabama, Alabama's kind of been. In a situation where they don't have proven proven receiving options, he might actually again have like fifteen percent or more of the market share of receiving yards, which is not 
normal necessarily for Alabama running backs. Uh, Where would you set the number? Where would you set the number for Gibbs being drafted over or under 45? Oh, I would say the first, that would be the first half of the second half. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Me too. No way. No way. Unless he's not healthy. That's, that's just not happening. Yeah. So you're, you're thinking like a Kenneth Walker top 10 pick in the second round or better. Yeah. If I was going to set the actual line somewhere, I would, I would put it like pick 37. You know, somewhere yeah, like that, if I was going to try to set even odds on it. But I'd say that there's a good chance, you know, a team trades up into the beginning of the round one, or, or sorry, round two, and actually targets him there. And he's just too explosive and too good as a, a receiver to to not be taken in that range. And what he's probably going to do at Alabama uh, is absolutely annihilate because it's Alabama. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who's um who's a dark horse running back that we have not mentioned that you think um someone not getting as much hype obviously that you think could maybe sneak into to this round range of guys if if it isn't uh I mean you mentioned Deuce Vaughn earlier who's another guy who who you could see maybe having a surprise season maybe a great uh a great what's the word I'm looking for combine and uh maybe get himself a little bit of capital uh, if I'm looking at, at guys to come out of absolutely nowhere, uh, guys that are just not even remotely on the radar uh, for almost anyone on the national scene, uh, I would say uh, Tay McWilliams at Baylor, uh, just because he's reportedly almost assuredly going to be the guy. And we saw how productive Abram Smith was last year for them. Yeah. Uh, and Abram Smith's thing was he was just a converted linebacker and uh, was super old. And so there were a lot of reasons he kind of, he wasn't even very athletic either. David Williams, though, has always been super athletic, was running like four or fives uh, coming out of high school. He just obviously wasn't ready from a size perspective, I guess, uh, strength perspective until this past offseason to really take the reins there. And so this year he's going to be. You know, Squirrel Williams is going to have a lot of the the work they were handed to Tristan Abner last year, but McWilliams is going to be the heavy touchdown scoring back, um, one that they rely on, and it could be a, a – like a crazy, you know, 1,200, 1,300 rushing yards guy who also had some uh, receiving yard work. And if he does that, he is 2023 20, eligible, and he could be that guy that comes out of nowhere and, and, and somehow earns day uh, day two capital. Yeah, my, my guy might be um, someone who I wrote about last year and, and was putting together a really fantastic season before injury cut him, cut him short, and that's Muhammad Ibrahim. I like him a lot out of Minnesota. Really explosive back. He, he's got the size, 5'10", um, 5'10", to five foot ten, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, I like I like his his move, and he he is productive, and he pretty much is the offense for for Minnesota. Um, so I mean, the one thing is when he got injured, Potts was doing a pretty good job too. So um, it could just be a nice offensive line. But Muhammad Ibrahim is someone that I could see kind of jumping up and uh, getting a late day. I don't know, maybe day three. I don't know. Well, well, early day three, late day two. I don't know. The guy for me that I'm interested in watching this this year. Nice. Well, I like that a lot. Well, hey, let's let's pivot off of running backs and and maybe spend some time on the quarterback position. I mean, there there are a few obvious names, but uh, I mean, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, those are the obvious projections to be round one picks next year. But for you, are there any other guys that you would just say are kind of automatically in that discussion? But before we do that, um, do you mind kind of giving me a historical overview, um, giving our listeners a historical overview? What's normal? What can we expect? How many first round 
because to me, I'm I'm always shocked at how many quarterbacks go first round. And we again, we're talking about this a little bit before the show started. Um, but the difference between first round and like second and third round quarterbacks is pretty crazy. And you, you either get drafted early or 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 not. You know, there's not very many of those guys. So I'd love to just hear some of those yeah, numbers sure. from you. Um, and then maybe I can use that to answer the question. Because really, I think those are the only two guys that I would feel comfortable dra- taking in the first round. Because when talking about quarterbacks, we also have to consider the teams that they're going to go to. Like, uh, who's going to be picking early? And do they yeah. have a quarterback need? Like a team like Seattle, Detroit. It's easy to assume that they might. But what if, I mean, I'm going to say, what if Jared Goff puts it together? We're, we're not going to play that game. Um, but, <laughs> but um, who is it outside of Stroud and Young? Because to me, those sure. are the guys that are, are definitely worthy. And I, I, would, I would be terrified to take a Will Levis or a Devin Leary or a Tyler yeah. Van Dyke. Like you super know? early in, in most of your drafts, right. and, and or even like try to trade for them, assuming that they're going to get drafted early. That's uh, certainly risky given the uh, the recent history of quarterback selections. I know um, round one quarterback selections that has actually been trending up since even like the early two thousands. Like if you look back at you know two thousand to like two thousand seven, like we used to see overall like total quarterbacks get get drafted. You'd see fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen quarterbacks drafted in any any draft class like that was more commonplace uh, but you'd see you know one in some cases or three or two quarterbacks quite often get taken around one um whereas you know in like 2018 2021 we saw five in both those years get taken in round one and over the years like since 2000 there have actually been 66 round one quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft and there's only been between rounds two and three 55 in total. So 11 more first round quarterbacks taken than rounds two and three combined. Uh, So, I mean, that's, yeah. So you're either going to go early or you're not going to go um, for a little while. Like teams are okay waiting. And that's even more so uh, true in recent uh, years, actually. Like if you look at even in 2021, where they had five first round quarterbacks, there were actually only five total quarterbacks taken in every single other round. (laughs) <laughs> outside of round one in that draft this year there was only one taken in round one so it's kind of like the opposite but it was, it was a very very weak quarterback draft we knew it to be true but you know they had no quarterbacks in round two and uh you know only three other round three uh, quarterbacks and there were like three round seven kind of flyer types but before round seven even there were only six quarterbacks taken last year at all in the draft so, like, on average, we're looking at, you know, 11-ish quarterbacks being taken in, in, in a draft class, whereas we, that average used to be around 13, 14 plus. Um, and so teams are just realizing, hey, you know what? It, unless this, this is a proven passer, unless I think that this guy can be a starter for me, there might not actually be any value added in selecting one at all. And, and I think that shows up in terms of how they – have been prioritizing efficient passers in recent drafts too, like all the work that I've done on uh, pass efficiency metrics, meaning more for draft capital in recent classes. That's reigning true uh, more now than ever. Like in the last three years, uh, it's basically 90% plus of the quarterbacks taken have at least an 80th percentile or better pass efficiency profile coming out of college. I mean, there's like the last two drafts total, there have been none, not one FBS quarterback 
that didn't have at least an 80th percentile passing profile or better. Like quarterback, like NFL teams have finally wisened up and realized, you know what? Unless, unless you are an elite, elite passer and can be a starter, nope, hard pass. Yeah, it's it's true. And even just like I'm just looking at some of this draft history stuff, like with that had the names with it too, and it's crazy, like just the the misses that you see even early on. Um, but so to answer your question, how many guys go in the first round? I think the other side of this isn't just looking at the historical data, but also what teams are quarterback needy. Like, I mean, how many teams do you think um, are going to want to take a guy? To, to your point, yeah. a team like Atlanta, who we don't expect to win a whole lot this year, they just took uh, they just took a quarterback last year, but it wasn't until the, the third round. So it's not like they had a heavy investment. If they're picking early and a guy like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young is available, yeah, I think they're going to take him. And if Seattle, I think they're going to be taking a first-round quarterback. So um, another team would be uh, the Detroit that we mentioned. Uh, maybe Carolina. So I don't know. Four? Four guys taken in the first round would be my guess. And uh, yeah. anything, if, if, the, if we're setting a betting line, um, I would take the over four. I would take the under four and a half, you know. Um, but again, that's a lot of that's because I don't like a lot of the options outside of the top two, but what if DJ Uyunglele puts together a phenomenal season? He's got such an incredible NFL, um, physique. I could, I could see him vaulting into the first round easily. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot, especially with guys who had the, the profile, um, coming into college showed a glimpse, um, it could be really exciting. A guy like Devin Leary, I could see him getting um, taken earlier. Now, I don't think Devin Leary is an NFL quality quarterback, like uh, a first-round quality quarterback, a franchise quarterback, but I could see a team investing in him. I could see people getting caught up in Will Levis, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. But really so, so there are some guys. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke is another guy who, if he puts it together, could, could yeah. see something. Um, so, so there are possibilities out here. Um, and again, we always see someone pop. Uh, could Kadon Slovis yeah. do what Kenny Pickett did? I mean, there's questions yeah. here. And some of them, the, the longer we talk, the more, the more they become stretches and probably not realities. But um, I, would, I would say four. Well, what's your number? I would say that there would be two early ones, and then there will be a couple other reaches that probably happen. Although we thought that could be the case this year, and it didn't happen. Yeah. So it really comes yeah. down to how many NFL teams have gotten smart about investing in efficient passers who also can add value with your legs. Cause those are two absolute musts in today's NFL. If you can't add any value with your legs, you're not going to get drafted early. Like even Kenny Pickett, like he wasn't an incredibly athletic guy, but if you look at his adjusted rushing numbers, uh, numbers like his rushing yard uh, market share numbers, like he was still, you know, 10, 11%. Uh, rushing yard market share, which is more than enough. And you, you don't have how to much, crazy, how much would that, how much would that change though? If he didn't do the fake slide, <laughs> it really wouldn't change that much. <laughs> no, I know that play, I love that play. I love it so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. But like, and you don't have to run a ton. You just can't be an absolute liability. Like, right. There, there are reasons like guys like Keaton Slovis, uh, we don't project him very highly anymore. And for me, it's not because I don't think he's an efficient passer because I, cause I think he is actually his, uh, his uh, 2020 season was actually like a 97th percentile pass efficiency metric mark. Yeah, uh, but he's an absolute liability 
uh, in terms of adding value with his legs. Like he just is sacked way too often and then does not add any value to make it up with his legs at all. He's like got a, a negative mark career uh, for his rushing yards. So I you can't really predict him to go that early because teams just don't care for that particular uh, model anymore. Uh, you know, but the uh, what about the, the what aboutism people are like, well, what about uh, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud? They don't really do that with their legs that much. Um, I think they're probably actually going to a little bit more this year. Um, I, I think we saw Bryce Young do, do it down the stretch. I think CJ Stroud do it in a couple competitive games. Um, when they needed them, to. Yeah, when they needed, when they needed to, to. They do. And so I think they're going to be at least positive rushing yard kind of cases this year. Probably not, you know, 10% guys like we've seen. Are uh, you nervous really about them breaking your model? Um, I'm ner- the, the pass efficiency part, uh, no. Because CJ right, Stroud. Right. Uh, CJ Stroud had put up a 99.1% season last year. Bryce Young put up a 93.6 percentile season. And so, like, they already, like, they're going to get drafted, period, and they're going to get drafted early. Like, that type of yeah. pass efficiency without any rushing inserted at all typically gets drafted, um, especially from high pedigree. You have the right helmet type of schools. Like, they, they yeah. get drafted early, uh, especially in the recent years. Um, but yeah, I think it, it would be disappointing if they didn't really add much with their legs this year because they can't just, right. We'll right. See them just do that, that it doesn't stuff, show but, up. It, it, those, don't, those things don't show up in your spreadsheet though. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So for you, you've got you those two guys. Both. Yeah. You've got those two guys as the, as the early two. Um, do you lean one over the other? I lean Stroud it, because he's the more Stroud. prototypical size and I'm not afraid that he's going to break it in half. On every play, um, yeah. Who like, who would be who would be your uh, if you had to put a wager on it? Who would be the next two guys that you think go? Not necessarily in the first round, but probably late first round, like you were saying. Um, if I were to trust my model, uh, it would be Devin Leary because he actually has two seasons of the, right at the 89th percentile or higher. Like he's got an 89th percentile pass efficiency mark and a 90th percentile mark. And so if you put up a third season at or above that mark, I think there's going to be a nerd somewhere in an NFL, NFL office that goes, hey, maybe we should go with the guy who's proven it three years in a row at the Power 5 level and uh, take a shot um, at him in, in the back of uh, round three, more so than uh, – the troubles that we've seen from Smith Rattler, the in- inconsistencies of a DJU, the he's never been actually good about Will Levis. Uh, you know, like there are certain things that we, we can kind of squint and, and get past, but I think Devin Leary is probably the, the safest bet um, that's already proven it multiple years in terms of pass efficiency and, and winning in big games against top defenses, elite defenses, last year specifically in the Clemson game, um, you know, Leary's that was done. a hell of a game too. That was so fun. He really, he really played well going into overtime. That was that was yeah. awesome. With a much, much worse surrounding cast. So, yeah. Um, you know, is he a rocket arm like uh, we typically see an early first round quarterback be? No, but I think he could be uh, around pick twenty something uh, in the NFL draft next year and be the QB three. Uh, I'm not trading for him in my leagues to be that because uh, I just I, I hate playing that game <laughs> but i think he could be that person and then who would be the next guy for you man i it's just it feels impossible uh to, to to project but i think 
again, if I went with my model, I, I would have to say Hendon Hooker, even though he's going to be like 24, 25. <laughs> yeah, because, hey, Brandon Whedon showed, showed us that ageism is not a real thing <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah, and if you do it for multiple years, like, like Hendon Hooker has already, uh, and he's done it for two different schools already, I think people will completely underestimate how good his uh, 2019 numbers actually were for Virginia Tech before they started messing with the rotational nonsense in 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, that coaching staff is no longer there for a reason. Uh, but he already, you know, had, uh, I think it was an 82nd percentile pass efficiency mark that year, being really high in completion percentage, overexpected, adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, and not only that, uh, more so than Devin Leary, he adds a bunch of value with his legs. So Hennon Hooker, even though he's going to be older, in uh, another year in Tennessee's high-flying offense and to put up another ridiculous passing total. With, I mean, last year, not even playing the whole season, had 31 passing touchdowns to three interceptions. So if he does that even more so, having over 40 passing touchdowns plus, yeah, uh, he's, a good, he's a good bet for top-five quarterback next year. Yeah, I, I have a feeling um, if his prices aren't too high to start out the year, some DFS action with uh... – with some, some oh, they're gonna they're gonna fix so that fun. so fast. So fast. <laughs> that'll be so I mean, that'll be so fun. Yeah, by week six, they're, they're gonna be pricing him at DFS for like ten thousand eight hundred just to get him yeah. on the board. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what about some some of the transfer guys uh, that I that I'd like to hear um, you kind of talk about? Uh, in Dylan Gabriel, Spencer Rattler, names uh, that you know we know. Spencer Rattler was like the highest quarterback in this class, if I'm not mistaken. Dylan Gabriel is now going to Oklahoma, who's been uh, producing high draft picks. Um, and there's an opportunity there to put in some crazy numbers, um, obviously, with Spencer leaving and Caleb leaving. Uh, so just a couple of guys I'd be curious to hear uh, you talk about. And also Tyler Van Dyke is getting a lot of buzz. Um, kind of throw him in there as well. Oh, that's a lot of names. Let's see. Dylan Gabriel, I, I think uh, I think that may have been more of the system than him at UCF, but I, I think he's a fun guy who will get drafted because his, his passing profile is actually uh, pretty decent as well. Like he's got a – I think his peak was like 87 or 88th percentile pass efficiency, like when you adjust for average depth of target, path, you know, play action percentage, jet motion, stuff like that that artificially boosts efficiency. Like he was still uh, really, really good. And so I, I like Gabriel, especially going to Oklahoma. But he's going to be a new, new place, new wide receivers, new – I mean, a system he's familiar with, but a lot of variables in play where he's going to have to figure it out quick. I could see him actually, uh, you know, getting drafted but and having a decent season, coming on strong late to where he's, you know, around four or five kind of quarterback, but not super early. Tyler Van Dyke could be one of those, who's, one of those guys who's good enough to get uh, day two capital but never – necessarily adds a bunch of value with his legs or shows to be, um, you know, the, the launch it downfield rocket arm guy. Um, and, you know, by the, the numbers in his smaller sample last year, he was, he was good enough to get drafted, but his profile right now says day two quarterback, uh, not day one quarterback for me. Uh, another guy though, I mean, not even just a transfer, right? we have to mention Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Yeah. Uh, Cause a lot of people think, Hey, he could be a round one guy. And I have to agree. I don't think that he's done near enough right now to warrant that kind of discussion. But given his but, measurables and the fact that he runs as fast as a wide receiver uh, and he has an arm like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't want to say like Michael, Michael Vick, but like he has that kind of uh, kind of potential. How was he 
splitting time with Emory Jones? I don't understand. Uh, I don't know. Ask ask uh, Dan Mullen, <laughs> uh, who no longer has his job. Um, I mean, that's that's a good point. Like, <laughs> coaches get get released for a reason. Um, but yeah, yeah, Anthony Richardson. Also, I don't really know what. Again, new head coach. I don't know. Uh, like with with Napier being there, what things will look mm-hmm. like. Um, when I saw Anthony Richardson, I I didn't watch a ton of Florida games last year, if I'm honest. Um, but I. I thought he was fine. I don't see this early, early, like I guess you're not suggesting early first round, but first round potential. Um, yeah. I don't know if I see it with, I think of all the guys and, we've talked about outside of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, he's the only one that I could see, you know, launching up and to compete for that QB one overall slot. Like he's the only one that has that kind of upside out of anyone we've mentioned. Where would you put that? Where would you put the odds of something like that happening? Like, I'm guessing you're not expecting that. No, I, I mean, like to be, you know, in the QB one conversation and be a top 10 overall pick, I'd put that under 10%. Right. Yeah. You know, but under 10% likelihood, but it's in the cards for him, given his measurables. And we knew this, even when he was coming out of, out of uh, high school, like he was that kind of player, that was that kind of speed. Like he was running four fives as, as a quarterback. Um, so, Always had the upside, just need to actually see him put it together. And I'm not sure he actually has the wide receiver core to do it. So that's why it's a, a, a such a low-level uh, percentile uh, projection I, for me. I do think Justin Shorter is still there now in his 12th year. In yeah, college. yeah. And again, that's always just been potential with him. Uh, but yeah. even their transfer from Arizona State, he just got dinged up. Uh, Xavier Henderson, uh, you know, he's got – Family in the NFL, defensive back, CJ Henderson, whatever. But uh, he's not really put it together. So I, I don't know what they're going to do there. But Richardson yeah. might just have to carry it, uh, carry the whole team this year in that offense. Give it to Which is actually what, you know, Levi, um, what's the name? Uh, Levi Lewis did at, um, with really Napier at Louisiana Lafayette. So, yeah. And Napier is used to that. So he might actually ask Richardson to do enough, but he has that crazy longer season and goes early. But yeah. that's tough to project. For sure, for sure. Uh, why don't we take a quick break here? Um, unless there's other any other quarterbacks you want to talk about, and then we can kind of uh, jump into wide receiver. Good time. Cool. Yeah, we will be right back after this break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we're back. We've talked about running backs and quarterbacks where we think they could land in the NFL draft last uh, next year, not last year. That'd be a much easier exercise, <laughs> but we're looking into the future, not the past. And we are going to pivot over to one of the more exciting positions, I think, because the volume of wide receivers that are drafted um, is vast. And you see, um, of course, the success rates um, correlate well with where you're drafted, but you do all also often see undrafted or even late rounds uh, guys with uh, decent, if not great careers at times. So let's talk about wide receiver. Um, do you want to start off with giving a little bit of the historical data and then maybe what, um, you know, what we think we might see as far as first uh, receivers receiving first round capital? Yeah. With receiver, it's interesting because you would think in a past half year league uh, more than ever, you know, we'd see an uptick in the number of wide receivers drafted over the years, especially in recent classes, but that's just not necessarily the case. Um, like even in terms of the number of, of first round wide receivers selected, like even back in like 2004, 2006 or 2005, 2007, 2009, like all of those years, we saw at least six wide receivers taken uh, early, early, like in the, like in the first round, like, and we didn't for a few years there, but now we've had a, a couple of years and well, two out of the last three years, we've seen six go in round one. And so that trend really hasn't changed. It's been pretty steady in terms of where teams take uh, wide receivers in the NFL draft. And, and like total, in terms of total number of wide receivers taken in, in any given draft, on average, it's around 32 in any given class. Uh, this year, it was a little light. Uh, I think it was 28 that were taken in this year's NFL draft. But overall, it's been pretty consistent for like 20 years now in terms of the number of players at the wide receiver position we typically uh, see. Um, so, uh, like, if you're talking about, like, day one uh, average, like, on average, we're seeing uh, about four to five. Like, the, I think the average is 4.27 wide receivers taken um, on day one. Round two, 4.7. And then round three, uh, on average, we see 4.5. So, it's like 12, so 13, 14 wide receivers taken pretty consistently uh, in rounds uh, one, two, and three. And and with pretty equal distribution between those rounds too, unlike quarterback where it was very heavy on the first round, right. wide receivers pretty much you're sprinkling four to five in every round in the first two. Yeah. Days. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty uh, consistent over the years. Like it's going to be, I mean, like every once in a while you'll see an outlier season where it's like 17, 18, like we've seen that happen. 
but but most of the time, um, you know, it's in between 12 and I guess really 12 and 15 is the most common range of outcomes for a wider, number of wide receivers taken, which is a lot when you think about it. But but the yeah. thing is, like every class, there's always like one or two day two wide receivers that collectively the, the fantasy football community and really NFL fan community almost just shrugs off and ignores. Like this year, a couple examples like what? Like Danny Gray is just getting completely ignored uh, yep. despite the fact that he got day two capital for the 49ers. It's like people don't really even care. Um, and actually, uh, Matt Spencer did a really good write-up uh, about that with Danny I Gray. I love Matt. Matt's yeah, he's, he's so smart. Uh, just such such a nerd and just one of my favorite kind of people. But completely shrugged off, even though he got taken inside day two. And, and then another guy, uh, for different reasons, uh, but Bellis Jones, who's I like was wondering if you bring old, him up. <laughs> yeah. um, he's also kind of being completely ignored uh, by most and being drafted really late in fantasy football. I have... Drafts. Because of that, I have so many shares of him that if he hits, I'm going to look very smart. But really, it's just because I... At least for a year until he retires. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Or even like my boy Jalen Tolbert, you know, third round guy. Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and these guys do hit. We we see these guys hit. um, I mean, not all the time. Not all of them hit. But but they don't have... you, you, you can find some real great guys. I mean, Gabriel Davis was a fourth round guy and he's someone that people are super stoked about um, right yeah. now. We, we saw, you know, Terry McLaurin was a third guy, third round guy. Uh, Deontay Johnson was in the third round. DK Metcalf mm-hmm. was the last pick it in happens. round two. I mean, yeah. that's, just, that's, just one, that's just one year too. Like that was just 2019, which is those guys at the end there. So. Uh, there, there's yeah. definitely going to be some of these guys to your point that really pop and become uh, fantasy staples. And as we look ahead, I, I think we can fa- say safely say that we've got, uh, I, I think a, a pretty exciting um, top end or, or high end on this wide receiver group. And I know uh, that we're going to see a lot of other names fly onto the, onto the radar that, you know, are going to put together unbelievable seasons that, that launch them into uh, day two capital. Yeah, but it, let, let's talk about like the, the, the likely round one wide receivers next year. Like how many wide receivers for 2023? I mean, it's a really stacked group. Like we like, I mean, like the, the names that we were talking about even before we recorded, I mean, we, we could probably get through 20 easily uh, that, that could be in that day two conversation. But round one type talents, uh, how many and which names, I guess, are you projecting for round one next year? So if you said historically we're right around four and a half for the first round, I'd go over um, for this upcoming season. I think we'll see see five or six go first round. Um, my my favorites, um, of course, are uh, Jath. Wow, I can't even say his name. Jackson Smith and Jigve. I think he's going to have a, a phenomenal year. No surprise there. Keishon Boutte right behind him. Um, I like Quinton Johnson next myself. I have him as the third best uh, wide receiver. Um, I think you know Jordan Addison, Josh Downs will be up there. I think Jermaine Burton, uh, change of scenery, I think is going to give him the opportunity to really shine and put together a really, really solid year. So, um, and then my my love for Marvin Mims knows no end. So Marvin Mims is another guy that I'm really high on. What's that? That's six right there. I think I gave you one, two, three, four, yeah. five, 
that's seven names. And I think we'll see at least five of those seven taken in the first round next year. Yeah. To me, I, yeah, I'm not there with a, a couple of them necessarily, but I can definitely see at least four, if not five uh, going to me, I think the safest uh, tier of, and they're not, well, really there's probably another sub tier within this one, but yeah, Jackson Smith, and Jake, well, like you said, Kayshawn Boutte, Jordan Addison, Josh Downs and Quentin Johnston. I think those five for me, would be the safest projection given what we already have seen out of the resumes and given what they're likely going to do this year, uh, almost undebatably so. Um, I mean, Jackson Smith, the is going to put up silly numbers and is probably in the wide receiver one conversation. Keishawn yeah. Boutte, uh, he had a, a bit of an off season, a couple of different procedures that we still don't, I think you really know what happened, uh, but he was on pace for an absurd, like 40% yard market share. Uh, season like he has the when you uh, squint and look at his adjusted production index uh, like the highest and best profile thus far out of the class despite the raw totals for Jackson Smith and Jigba being absurd um, and so and, and then Jordan Addison doing what he did at Pitt last year driving a billion I think touchdowns and now going over to USC to play with Caleb uh, almost said Caleb Johnson Caleb Williams another generic name um, and then Josh Downs, uh, already you know being a, a beast last year, I, more of a slot type uh, for North Carolina. The quarterback situation is a little bit bumpy this year for North Carolina, but he should be the only option there. They only have seven other scholarship wide receivers even on the team. Uh, so it's going to be the Josh Downs show again. Quentin Johnston, uh, when he's healthy, I think he's only played eight games in back-to-back years, but or nine games in back-to-back years, but when he's been healthy, he's been like a 30 30- percent or, or better like 35 percent i think at his peak in terms of receiving our market share and his dominator rating and so um those five to me are just easy top 40 guys like i i think just based on their potential based on their upside based on their profiles based on you know everything they've already done i would put the the betting line at pick 40 or better for all of them um although i i am curious where would you put the line for mims where would I put? Where do I think you yeah. should go, or where do I think he uh, will go? Where would you put the uh, the over under on the exact pick that he'll be selected next um, year? I would put the exact over under at um. Let me think here. Pick, I don't know. Let's say over under sixty. Okay, into the yeah, second, early third. That's fair. The thing about with with him is. Like he's actually never had uh, a dominator rating above twenty five percent, right? And so like he, he had a great freshman season, yep. Uh, but net, didn't really see an uptick in improvement. But it's like his marks for other important measures, like yards per team pass attempt, even like touchdowns per team pass attempt, like that's a little bit better, but not great. Like I don't I, think he led the Sooners in any statistical category. No, no last no. Year. I mean, he was he was the only one that was actually efficient. Like he was averaging 22 yards per reception, but they just didn't get it to him a whole lot. Like right. he had 32 catches last year in 13 games. Um, so it's a little odd. Um, I think he has all the potential uh, maybe because, you know, Marty Williams is gone um, and his competing cast is, is worse. He'll put better numbers up. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I'm a little bit concerned about where he's going to go now. And even like Raheem Jarrett, like he was a pedigree play for a long time, but like is he actually going to get enough uh, receiving work even in a high flying offense from Maryland to get the capital? Like 
a bunch of guys that are kind of on, on the cusp of being where they need to be. And, you know, there, there's going to be a couple breakouts. That's fine. But uh, I'm not sure we get more than five next year, although five seems pretty safe to go in the first 40 picks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of those guys will pop. We just don't know which one. Um, another guy we've talked about quite a bit, um, speaking of Oklahoma, is Hazelwood moving to Arkansas. It'll be interesting to see how he does in that role, if he can um, generate enough buzz. Because he's another guy, like we just said, for Oklahoma, not very impressive statistical performance. Um, what about a guy like Jaden Reed with Michigan State staying again? Um, do you think he'll be able to do enough in, uh, I mean, Peyton Thorne is another quarterback of Michigan State. Um, is is that going to be an offense where he's able to put up numbers um, to get himself day two capital, or is he someone that uh, you think probably slides a little bit? That's an interesting name, just because it's not one that's ranked very highly among um, the developmental, you know, Debbie fantasy football community. Uh, but dating back to his early career when he was still at Western Michigan, he broke out immediately for them. Uh, and, and was a true freshman kind of breakout that we were all excited about, even though he was coming from a group of five program. And we all thought, hey, this guy does this kind of thing again. That would be impressive because he peaked uh, at like a 35% dominator. And last year, you know, he was sharing a lot of targets with Jalen Naylor, who did get drafted uh, day three, but he did get drafted nonetheless to the Vikings and looking good in camp. He's going to make the team. But Jaden Reed, I think, was still the better, most consistent receiver on the team and is now uh, coming back with Thorne. Uh, they're not they're not going to pass a ton, uh, but they might rush less than they did last year because they don't have a Kenneth Walker at Michigan State this year uh, to really tote the rocket as consistently and as much as, as he did. So Jane Reed should have all of the market share this year. He could get close to 40% receiving yard market share for a team that desperately needs that alpha to go off uh, in a big way to be anything near what they were last year. So I think he, he does project well for at least back end of day two capital, given what he did as a true freshman. Uh, I know he's going to be a fourth year player. Um, yeah. And, you know, we see those guys go a little bit later typically, but he was good enough to get drafted this year. And if he caps it off with an incredible season, uh, could go inside the top 100 picks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I kind of want to throw his name out there because it's not someone uh, we talk about too much. So someone that I thought was interesting to yeah, kind of hear your thoughts on uh, Penn State has been putting. Um, oh, Penn State has been putting some some interesting prospects out to the NFL. What do you think about Parker Washington? Parker Washington has been beneficiary of of living inside that um, hyper productive, schematically boosted uh, slot role for for them for a while. I mean, like there have been a couple guys who have really benefited. In that that uh, slot role, anytime they they've done much work there at all. I know Jahan Dotson was more of an outside guy uh, last year, but like even he, when he spent a lot of time there, he was really productive. KJ Hamler, when he was a slot for them, he was really extremely productive. Um, you know, we, we've seen several guys uh, succeed in, in that role, um, and so I think part of it is scheme, but he is shifty and fast enough to to make it at the next level. So. It, it, to me, it's going to come down to his athletic testing and because um, he's going to have a good enough profile to get drafted, uh, but not one that impresses so much that he uh, is taken very early. So like, he, he sneaks into day, the back end of day two or people realize, you know, it's probably just the schematically boosted situation that he's in. 
uh, that made that possible. Um, you know, and they already, Penn State just loves to do this, but they already have, have brought in his replacement in Caden Saunders, who's going to be the guy to inherit that role after this season. Like, they just love that situation. Uh, love, love to get work that position open. Um, that's just kind of how they roll. Um, but I don't see the, the upside with him necessarily. Like, he could just be that, that guy that gets day two capital, but then also disappears because he's actually just Amari Rogers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey. Story's not been written on Amari Rogers. There's still a future for him. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. <laughs> you know, he and he and he and I go way back, so I gotta gotta protect him whenever I can. That's not true. That's a lie. Um, Zay Jones has kind of soured um, any potential hype I might ever have for someone named Zay. But let's talk Zay Flowers. <laughs> we didn't actually get a chance to talk about Jerkovic in the quarterback conversation, although I think he. Uh, could be really fantastic in the uh, this year and for the NFL. So let's talk Boston College. Let's talk Zay Flowers. Um, he didn't go and take, didn't chase the bag. He stayed home. Uh, do you think he can put together a decent year? Uh, yeah, I think so. He just uh, got stuck with uh, Dennis Grossell throwing the ball to him last year, and that kind of really put a cap on his potential numbers. Uh, Were you still- surprised he didn't leave? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but it's really hard to leave after you have a year like that. It actually kind of mm-hmm. looks worse on paper. Um, I'm sure that, you know, he, as many underclassmen do and, and can do, uh, you know, they'll go to the uh, the board that actually gives you kind of a projection. They'll either say you're either a round one player or you're a round two player or you're a back to school grade player. Like there's nothing in between if you ever see somebody say, oh, well, they got a round five grade from the board or whatever. They are lying. There's only three types of grades. It's round one, round two, or go back to school. Those are the, those are the only suggestions they give out. And so I'm sure that he got to go back to school grade and did so. And so he's going to have I mean, hopefully a full year of, of, of Philadelphia Kubik actually hitting him uh, in stride and, and put up perhaps his only in a uh, thousand yard season in his career this year. Yeah. I, I wasn't very clear in my question. I, I was wondering if you were surprised that he didn't transfer out. Oh yeah. You know, he actually wasn't reportedly enticed by multiple schools. Like he apparently turned down like $3 million. Uh, that's what I, yeah, that's what I had heard too. Change schools um, and decided to go back. And I would imagine that Boston college didn't just, you know, leave him empty pocketed. <laughs> I'm sure they actually helped him out with some NIL deal to, uh, to keep him there, but I'm not sure it was $3 million, but I think he just right. understands, look, I'm in a situation where I am the only wide receiver this team has <laughs> like I'm, I'm i'm the beginning and the end of the target list and yeah. i have a potentially you know nfl arm type quarterback coming back with me and i have an offensive coordinator that that uh wants to feature me and so i'm in the best situation right now to make it to the next level sure i can get three million to go play somewhere and be the wide receiver two or three or I could just wait and my rookie contract's going to be worth way more than that if I have the year that I think I'm capable of. And so yeah. I think that's the right call for Zay Flowers. Yeah, and I and his sophomore year was really, really good. I mean, yes, he didn't get to that 1,000-yard mark, but he had 933 scrimmage yards, yards with 10 touchdowns. Um, do you think – where do you think Zay Flowers ends up going? Um, what round do you think he can end up landing in? This is going to sound real boring, but, it, you know, it's round three. That's where he, that's where he belongs. Like he's not going to be athletic enough, I think, to get round two hype. Uh, but I think he's going to have enough 
uh, to, to go pretty high. Like, and we look at, if you look at my metric that I build out for Rotoviz every year, the adjusted production index, Flowers already has like a 64th percentile mark there if he does nothing at all this year whatsoever. So he's, he's got a day two good enough kind of profile. Um, but the only way I'd see him going earlier is if he gets above the 80th percentile, which is more of a projection uh, for safety in the round two plus range. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, any other guys that you're excited about or uh, want to talk about before we move on to tight end? I mean, there's you know laundry list of guys we can go down, but Konata Montfield for Pitt uh, is going to be able to be featured now that uh, Jordan Addison is gone. They're probably not going to pass as much as they did at, at Pitt last year, but Keaton Slovis comes in and he's going to target pretty much only Konata Montfield most likely. Montfield, of course, transferred o- over from Akron and looked like he was going to be the wide receiver too there. But now he's a guy who could be a 1,200-plus yard receiver um, coming off a situation where he kind of already had a good enough production year, even in the MAC, to warrant some NFL interest. So he's he's definitely um, on my uh, watch list, and I actually have been drafting him. Uh, Dante Demas Jr., uh, Maryland wide receiver, I think could be actually better than Rakeem Jarrett, who is the higher pedigree guy on the team. Uh, Demas was on a really, really good pace last year before he went down with injury and is apparently already healthy enough to be back uh, participating in full at camp for Maryland. So I think he leads the team in receiving yards, touchdowns, everything, uh, in a situation where Maryland's going to have to be airing it out a bunch because their defense is still so bad. Um, So I think he's going to have a really good year and already has a decent adjusted production profile uh, on record. So uh, he's somebody I'm really excited about. He, He, too, actually has a 60, uh, around a 60th percentile adjusted production index already if he does nothing this year uh, and could pr- improve upon that and be a day two kind of player. And then like some G5 guys, uh, I'm intrigued. Well, no longer G5, J- J- but Jacob Cowling went from UTEP uh, to Arizona. He could be a high volume PPR type slot option that, that gets drafted somewhere. And then Nathaniel Dell out of Houston, I think is going to be one of the most uh, productive receivers in the entire country uh, as the primary target in that offense. He's a little bit skinny, but I think he could be somebody who sneaks into uh, day two as well. Yeah, no, that's great. I like that. I like those list of players. I'm I'm in I'm envisioning a few months from now, I'm gonna be writing a DFS article and it's gonna be a picture of of Mumfield like just catching a touchdown in the end zone over two tiny little defensive backs. And the title of the uh, article is gonna be Mumfield and Sons. Get ready for it. Oh my gosh. Just lean right into that one, huh? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, let's let's move let's move to tight end. Um last year we saw um four players drafted in the first three rounds. Um only one in the second round, the the remaining three coming in round three. Uh what does it look like beyond last year? Like if you look past um look back into the past a uh, few few classes what's what's kind of typical um for tight ends you know it's funny we have seen some classes uh in recent years where there's just been zero um zero first round tight ends like and that's become more prevalent actually in recent years uh we've seen like just this past year zero first round picks at the tight end position 2020 zero first round picks at the position 2016 zero first round picks uh, for tight ends, 2015, zero taken. Like that's, that's quite often 2012, zero, 2011, zero. Uh, and, and the thing Crazy. is we really like to see, um, 
for fantasy, like safe fantasy projection, we like to see uh, at least some career safety and, and value insulation to stick out throughout their in, uh, entire rookie contract to be at least the top 50 kind of pick, uh, but definitely a first round pick. Um, and there's just not a whole lot of elite difference makers at the position period anyway. Um, so most classes are not going to have a Kyle Pitts type player uh, coming out. Most classes are, are not going to have a situation where you have TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant on the same team coming out to be first round picks. That's just not, not super common. And the NFL has been historically pretty gross at actually picking uh, tight ends that early. I know a lot of people want to talk about, uh, you know, hey, the, the hit rate for guys, you know, playing a long time in the NFL. That's fine. But like elite producers, uh, especially recent in recent years, they've been pretty bad at uh, identify, uh, identifying first round players who are going to be difference makers for our fantasy purposes. Like Hayden Hurst was a legitimate first round <laughs> selection uh, by an NFL team. Like he was already 25 years old when he came out in the league. And he was not good. Oh my god! He's my favorite late round tight end this year. Just yeah, but he's still just. I mean, that was just yeah, such a waste of a pick. At the first time. round, like, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, and, and it was it was like oh, and then the same team took Mark Andrews, who was clearly the better tight end. Everyone <laughs> in our community already knew that to be true, but the entire NFL thought, oh yeah, Mark Andrews needs to go two rounds after this randomly bad and old tight end that we all knew was a waste of a pick. Um, and then OJ, yeah, and not not even to mention the 2017 class, which was, like, wait for it, OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, David Njoku. Those names sounded a lot sexier in 2017 than they, than they do now. And uh, George Kittle in round five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they took all those guys uh, way before George Kittle, who was actually the only good one out of the bunch. Um, so yeah, it, it teams, the NFL has been pretty bad at this. Uh, for a while. Uh, so it's just tough to project. We like to see first round capital, but even in recent years, that doesn't mean much outside of the truly elite, elite guys uh, like Kyle Pitts. Yeah. So does next year's class, I mean, there's one name that uh, we're all very excited about um, in Michael Mayer. Um, is he the only one that you would say could even get first round capital? Um, right now, yeah, yeah, I think he's the only one that, that that's even a possibility for. Uh, I think a couple of years ago we would have made a project pr- yeah, prediction. I mixed two words there: projection and prediction. Which Predic- is a perfect, prediction. I think that's, which that's we the should word start I using. Yeah, <laughs> that's we should. Fantastic. Yeah, but Eric Gilberts, um, when he was still with LSU, would have been that guy, um, but he's no longer because uh, he's not even going to be the tight end one on his own team this year. I hope he succeeds, but he's not even going to be the tight end one on his own team. Uh, we kind of talked about that two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. But he has the upside athletically to creep into that conversation. But I think uh, he's probably not going to produce enough. If he does choose to come out uh, for the, the draft this year, a team will take a chance on his upside, but it'll be on day two. Michael Mayer for Notre Dame, um, that's probably the only name, only name. And even he is not perfect because I don't think he's going to have – elite level athleticism that we would typically like to see at the position. Like I think he's probably at best going to run like, uh, you know, high four sixes, which is good enough, but it's not necessarily what we like to see uh, from our first round kind of tight ends. Um, so he's good enough to kind of turn the corner against college players, but I am curious to see how, uh, how he kind of tests out 
athletically. Uh, he, he's big enough. Like, he's 6'4", 250. But uh, I, that will be uh, just one to watch. And I think his testing might be incredibly important when it comes to seeing whether he's like a, a mid-first-round pick or somebody who goes around pick 40 or 50 overall. Yeah. Yeah. And those those things happen. I think uh, one of the most surprising ones to me this this past year, someone who I would have lost a lot of money on if I was setting the the line or or betting on it, and that was Brevin Jordan, you know, a guy who had the look. He was someone that we were all excited about, um, but he ended up going in like round five. Like, so it's really hard because he was someone that we had gotten excited about. Maybe, maybe not you. I shouldn't speak for you. Someone I had gotten excited about um, because he was really fun at Miami. Um, so yeah, it's tough. So you think Michael Mayer is a, what, what percentage would you put it at for you confidence that he goes in round one next year? I would say it's still probably only around 50%, maybe, maybe 55% chance that he'll sneak into round one. So you Um, think there's a decent chance that we have another year with zero first round tight ends? Yeah. Yeah, I I do. Uh, but it's going to come, like I said, it's just going to come down to the testing. And if he actually ups his yards per reception mark uh, this year, if Tyler Buckner succeeds in a way that I think he can, um, that could change my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I think more than likely, more than likely he does sneak in, but it's not much more than likely that uh, <laughs> that, that happens. Besides that, there's really nobody else that has a chance. Um, yeah. that, Zach Koontz uh, for Old Dominion is a freak athlete, but plays for Old Dominion. <laughs> so, um, you know, he, he was productive for them last year, former Penn State tight end. I really like his athletic upside and, and uh, strength, but uh, there, there's just going to be some questions that probably leave him in day two. Sam Laporta out of Iowa. I was, you know, they're the tight end factory. Um, he'll get drafted maybe back into day two. Cameron Latu coming out of Alabama could get back into day two consideration. Benjamin Urosik, Stanford, another tight end factory. Uh, he definitely is going to have athletic concerns in, in terms of speed. Coming out of high school, he barely broke five, I think, in the 40. Um, he's gotten faster and, and stronger, you know, playing for a D1 program uh, and was actually really productive last year, over 600 receiving yards for them on a really bad offense. Uh, but I, I do like him. He could be a tight end two or three in the class, but he's going to have some athletic questions, I think. So that might cap his ceiling uh, for NFL projection. And then Jaheim Bell and Austin Stogner on the same team for South Carolina. I, I would guess that only one produces enough to get decent capital. Uh, but Bell, uh, Jaheim Bell could be that uh, John O. Smith kind of model guy who's a little bit undersized, but is, is, is athletic enough and good enough to be a mismatch nightmare. Yeah. Uh, what about a, a name that, again, I was really excited about a couple of years ago or two years ago, Jaleel Billingsley, I believe now in Texas. Um didn't he transfer to Texas? Yep, and I yeah. have no interest in him, and I don't even think he's going to start for them. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, I just I used to yeah. like him. <laughs> yes, there you go. I, I think it's I think Jatavian Sanders is a better uh, prospect than him. He's not eligible for twenty twenty three, but I think he sees the field more so than Billingsley does. I think Billingsley will be given a shot here and there, uh, but he will still disappoint like he's done for two years already. Yeah. So kind of shifting to um, roster construction just when it comes to tight end, because we talked about this last year, and I know we have uh, quite a few new listeners this year. But when you're putting together a, a fantasy team and we're looking at Debbie or C2C, um, mainly C2C, what's your strategy? Like knowing how 
difficult it is for tight ends to get capital if you don't have that right one or maybe mm-hmm. in the very rare cases too what's your strategy when building out your team when it comes to tight end i am always on team zero tight end like i i will not draft one in virtually any kind of lead at any point before round 10 for any reason whatsoever um because even if we think we're right about a tight end and he's a great nfl tight end like he's a really good one and he's like a back end tight end one that means almost nothing. <laughs> like there's yeah. so many good tight ends uh, in the NFL that it still doesn't mean anything. Like unless you're a top two or three tight end in the NFL, in terms of translating to an actual positional advantage that's meaningful enough to justify the draft selection and justify taking them over virtually anyone else in that same range, there's like two or three every year, and uh, you know the, the same ones for like a dozen years. Right, right. Yeah, I I'm think not going to bet on my ability to, to identify the next one. I'm just not going to do it. I, I'll, I'll go in a, diff- a different direction every time. So, do you have any Kyle Pitts or Brock Bowers? <laughs> I have none of either, um, and yeah. I'm okay with that because right. I am perfectly fine targeting uh, Dalton Schultz in a, in a trade uh, for two years straight and having him on half my teams and uh, having a way better wide receiver core because I didn't reach for Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Or overpay. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's I think that's good. Um well awesome. I think I think this has been good. This has been really helpful for me just uh talking through some of these players because it's really easy, like you said, to just be like, Yeah, I think all those guys are gonna get great capital. But uh sooner or later, uh we have to realize that history tends to be a very good predictor of the future. And yeah. there's a lot of other positions that are extremely important for NFL teams that have nothing to do with uh, our fantasy football leagues like defensive yeah. linemen um, uh, hey, so, they, so i think those it's, do matter in, in some of my leagues but yeah, yeah that's that's true only if they're <laughs> still in high school though <laughs> right no this right. has been good man it's always it's always good catching up it, it was it, it's been a lot of fun man i'm really stoked for the season i'm gonna go do a tiny bit of research so i can play some bets on the games tonight um it's gonna be good uh, again you can follow us here on the road of his main feed but we all also have College to Canton uh, feed as well. Highly recommend you follow both. The College to Canton feed does tend to get dropped a little bit sooner in the week than on the main feed. So if you want all of your C2C needs um, met as soon as possible, follow us here. Again, you can find me, Stefan Leco, on Twitter at Stefan Leco. And you can find Travis on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. Travis, is there anything? Actually, no, before you leave us, um, what are you working on right now? Uh, wh- what can we find? You've got your stuff on Rotoviz. Um, yeah, really excited uh, for you know upcoming season with Rotoviz, but uh, uh, also the, the Salad Verbal guys are just always doing great work. Ty Hildenbrandt, uh, Hildenbrandt and uh, Dan, uh, of course, over there. Dan and Ty, as, as you may know them. Uh, but they're just great. They've been doing awesome things for several years, since 2008. If you like college football, uh, they're hilarious people. They do great shows. They even do live shows. Yeah, I got a couple of those coming up. But about to do a full relaunch for their website, and it looks really clean, and I'm excited. So uh, I'm going to be doing That's some awesome. stats work for them uh, just to get some stuff on their show. Uh, but also just doing some uh, stats, uh, writing stuff that, you know, is just interesting to me about every – uh, one of the best matchups uh, from the past weekend and uh, one's upcoming. Awesome. That's that's going to be great. I'm going to be helping out on some of the college DFS stuff. 
Um, of course, we've got our podcast that covers it, but I'll also be running um, some articles on that too. So that'll be really fun. I'm excited for that, man. I cannot wait for this season to start. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you all for listening. Please take a second, rate, review the show. Um, send us questions. Uh, it'd be fun to do a mailbag um, here before the season gets going. So please do that. And uh, again, as always, thank you so much. And we will be back with you next week. All right. Bye. My mouse wasn't working. Sorry. (laughs)